for WOR's resident genius, Gene Shepard, who follows next over WOR New York. Cultural development news. <laughs> Whenever I, uh... oh yeah, oh, I'm sorry about that terrible thing happened. Yeah, I got a uh, note here that a gigantic load of uh, manure was spilled on the turnpike. Truck turned over. <laughs> I'll tell you, uh, one of the most uh, spectacular scenes I've ever seen like that, with a truck flipping, was out in uh, West Virginia someplace one time when I was driving late at night, and some guy went into the ditch and big semi-tractor-trailer and all that jazz, you know, and he flipped over, and the top of the trailer just peeled back like a, uh, just, just, uh, just like a can of sardines, you know, just zip, and all the stuff poured out, and it was all over the road. In fact, all up and down the sides of the hills, the wind had blown the stuff all up and down the valleys, and it was all over the place. It was 28 zillion uh, uh, lily paper cups. You know, those paper cups that were all over the scene, I'll tell you. <laughs> and, uh, the, the, you know, it was, it was kind of a, kind of a great-looking scene, but uh, I don't know what I'd do with it. You know. but by, by the way, speaking of, uh, of uh, cultural developments here, we have uh, a bad news here for you. Those of you who don't get a chance to follow bad news too often, here's bad news. Tobacco chewing is making a fantastic comeback. Oh, wait a minute now, around the country. <laughs> and they have one report, for example, uh, that Dallas claims that sales have tripled in recent months. 
and uh, they're all coming in there buying the uh, they're, they're buying cut plug, ready cut chews. It says in most elegant types. It says uh, all kinds of strange. Mrs. Pam Garrison, wife of the cowboy fullback Walt. You know who Walt Garrison is? You know the football player. Says her husband belongs to this crowd. Uh, claiming uh, she claims that he can spit in the bottle and never miss. She says <laughs> he has to be firmly convinced that the chewing, uh, uh, chewing this stuff is is healthier than smoking cigarettes or cigars and all that kind of stuff. So he sticks with it. See, and so what has happened is that uh, is that there's a tremendous market now in the spittoons beginning to develop. And uh, for those of you, you know, New York is, is often way behind. No, really, I'm serious. New York is often way behind in developments that actually are occurring in the country. Now, I don't know why this is so, but it just seems to be. Because the other day, I was driving along outside of the state. In fact, I'll tell you what state it was in. It was not that far away. It was in, uh, in uh, Delaware. You know, Delaware is not that far. So I go into this uh, into this gas station in Delaware, and I pull in there, and, and uh, the guy's putting gas in the car. So I, I walk into the into the station there, and they had a a big cigarette machine, a Coke machine, all that stuff. See, so I I, I was going to get a Coke or something. So I stand there by the machine. I look at the other machine there, and a guy comes in. He throws in his money, pulls the thing out, going going, and what what comes out? But but a great big uh, package of uh, of mail pouch chewing tobacco. It's the only time I saw chewing tobacco in a cigarette machine now. No, it's a big deal. Now, have you ever chewed it? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. <laughs> hey, I, must, I, must, I must admit uh, that, that one of the great traumatic events of my life came from chewing tobacco. Now, I, I, uh, I, and I don't, don't accuse me of being a tobacco chewer. I am not. I found that out. It's just a, you find it out. You'll never forget it. Uh, I, I saw some great tobacco chewers, though, when I was a kid. Did you ever see Nellie Fox, ball player? Well, Nellie Fox was legendary as a tobacco chewer. And Fox would come up to the plate or be out in the, you know, out in the, he played second base. But he had a chew of tobacco that looked about the size of a medium grapefruit. Fantastic. Really. It looked like he was growing another head just stuck out like that an enormous chew so one day one day fox i heard fox being interviewed yeah he had fantastic chew of tobacco and he always had it in there and and one day uh, he was being interviewed by somebody and i heard this guy say uh, well nelly uh, fox he's a tough little guy nelly fox was a second baseman and a good hitter so he said uh, mr fox what was the most exciting thing that ever happened to you in the ball game you know in, in your career of course he assumed it was going to be a great place as well i'll tell you what happened one time and he said what was it he says i don't even want to talk about it he said, well come on what is it all the fans are excited he said well he said you know i i uh, i was uh, he said we we're having a double play there see and he said uh, the shortstop goes deep in the hole he said i cross this is the second base to take the throw you know he's going to pivot and whirl around and throw it to first. He says, I comes crossing the bag. He said, when all of a sudden, the, the runner from first comes sliding in and hits me in the small of the back. He said, before I could even get around. He said, I had the ball up in the air. He says, I just started to throw it when this guy hits me from the back. He said, I'll never forget it. So the announcer says, well, all right, so what happened? He said, well, it just happened so quick. He said, this chew at the back, I... He says, oh, no, he didn't swallow it. That's the funny part of it. He says, he hit me so hard 
that the chew flies out of my mouth, see, and it hits the runner right in the back of the neck. This great big sopping wet chew at the back of flies out. It's about the size of a grapefruit, see. Hits the runner right in the back of the neck. And he says, this guy jumped up. He was so mad. He thought that I spit my tobacco on him. He says, he took a swing at me. And he says, within, you know, 30 seconds, we're both rolling around in the ground. We got the wet chew and tobacco rubbed over all of us. He says, the umpire gets in on it. He says, I was kicked out of the ball game and fired, fined $500 for fighting. He said, the most exciting moment I had in my life is because of the chew. <laughs> well, now, now it is a fact, however, that, that, that chewing tobacco is a, is a very special uh, scene. And uh, I, I was never and never have chewed tobacco. But I'll tell you what I learned about chewing tobacco. It's a funny thing about this, uh, this art. That when I was a kid, we had this guy that the family moved in next door to us one time, see, and and uh, chewing tobacco is a, it came closest to causing my old man actually getting into a fist fight. Have you have you ever seen your father get in a fist fight? Well, I'll tell you, I did once saw my old man. I mean, he really got mad. So we had this driveway that was between these two houses. I mean, our house and this house next door. Well, it was our driveway. It uh, went up to our garage. See, well, this family moved in. And uh, they they uh, they packed all their stuff in the house and all that. And you know we 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 always uh, minded our own business. We weren't the the big uh, walking around the neighborhood types. You know we stayed in our own house. And uh, you know I had to hang around with the kids once in a while. That's about it. And uh, we had this lawn, which uh, I was always I get twenty five cents every time I I uh, mowed the lawn. See, so the lawn was part of our scene there. It wasn't much of a lawn, but it was well the best we had. And alongside the house, my mother had this bed of irises. That was her one thing she used to do. She'd plant these iris bulbs. Well, this family was not in the house more than, I would say, an hour and a half. When this old duffer comes out of the house, it was one of these families, you know, they had about nine different mysterious people living with them. And it was this old guy that always had suspenders that were hanging down around his knees. He'd take his suspenders, and I wore these black pants, and he wore long winter underwear. I have always associated, for some reason in my mind now, maybe this is the reason, I just got it. I've always associated long winter underwear with chewing tobacco. <laughs> yeah, you know the kind of guys that wear these long winter underwear? Well, well, anyway, this guy would come out of the house, winter or summer. It made no difference. He always wore this long winter underwear there, with the long sleeves and stuff. And his... Uh, his uh, suspenders hanging down, and he would he would very deliberately. Now he had a whole porch. Remember that he had a whole porch. Now it was a big porch, went the whole width of the house. He would very carefully come out of the front door, turn right, walk towards our house, hang his head over the railing, and go hoik. There'd be a pause. Hoik, patui. Just lay it out there. I mean, right. He 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 just lay it right across the driveway, and it would it would get get down among the irises. See. <laughs> well, well. Give me a little echo chamber on this. This is a very common sound. Hoik, toy. Is the evil sound? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean yes. I, you you're right. Before you write the letter in, I will agree with you. You're right. That is an exceedingly bad taste. I will agree. And I don't make the news, lady. I only report it. 
and their life is in bad taste. I must concede it. So this guy used to come out, and he just laid that, that fantastic wad. See, he, he chewed his tobacco steadily. He never stopped. And uh, every so often, he would accumulate enough juice. Apparently, that's what happens with tobacco. See, well, he would just keep chewing until he has a great big gaboon full of juice. And then he would just come out. <laughs> He'd lay it down into the driveway. Well, one day, it just so happened. That, uh, that it had it, the, the, the inevitable. I mean, the collision, let's face it, uh, man is not born to be a peaceful creature. I just don't believe it. <laughs> I mean, man is a combative. Next to the wolverines and possibly the tiger shark, man is one of the toughest babies going. And now, my father was not necessarily a combative type. And so one day, uh, he comes driving up the driveway. Now, now, every day at exactly five. 35 thereabouts, almost exactly 535, the old man had come roaring up to the driveway. Uh, you know, have you ever thought about how every family has its own specific rhythm? I mean, all, all little, you know, little, little very private things, like uh, what time you eat and what time you get up and uh, when, what day you go to the store. And it's a very private internal rhythm of a family. Well, our, our family, the internal rhythm of the family was based on the old man coming home from work, see, or going to work, whichever was the case. And so every day at about 5.30, he worked till 5, see, he, every day at 5.30, he, he'd come roaring up the driveway. And uh, he, used to, he used to love to come up that driveway, see, it was, a, it was a grade, it wasn't this flat driveway, it came up a grade, and then it would flatten out at the top, see, and it was made out of black gravel and stuff. And he used to like to drive up that driveway. He'd shift it down. You hear him. <laughs> He'd roar up the driveway. And, and you could always tell what kind of a mood the old man is was in by how much gravel he would throw up against the side of the house. If he was really bugged because of a rotten day with Mr. Bullard, uh, he would come roaring up that driveway and you could feel the gravel, you know, rattle up against the attic windows. He's really mad. And you'd hear him slide. Uh, just he'd just slide right up to the garage doors. You'd hear, he'd slide right up. Did I ever tell you the story about the night? Oh yeah, every every family has, you know, every neighborhood has its own little private scandals. Never get out of that neighborhood, that little block. Did I ever tell you the fantastic night, that just a great night, that Mister M.D. came home with a snootfall? two or three doors down from where we lived. And uh, it, uh, it was a big discussion with Melvin M.D. about it the next day. But Mr. M.D. came home from bowling about 2 o'clock in the morning and drove his car right through the back of the garage, full tilt. He didn't even bother to slow up in the garage. He just hit the garage going full blast, went through the back of the garage, over the alley, through another garage, which, thank God, was empty. <laughs> he went right through the garage that was at the back face of him, see? He went right through that garage, right through that garage, right through the, the, the yard next door, and wound up under the porch across, you know, across the street. It's a fantastic moment. And uh, M.D. got out of the car, and, uh, I mean, he didn't even bother to, you know, come up with a bad excuse like the brakes fail or anything like that, see? He just got out of the car. It was a legend around the neighborhood after a while, for weeks. He he got out of the car. Of course, everybody was running out. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. All that uproar going. You hear glass breaking and people screaming and porches falling down and all that stuff. See, And they, he sat in the car for a second under the porch. 
Now, he was over on the other block, see, by this time. See, there's a, the, the block across the street. So he gets out of the car very carefully. And all he says, well, I'll be damned. <laughs> That's all he said. Of course, uh, of course, everybody's flipping. Porch fell down on one guy's house. He ran over about 17 rose beds, knocked, knocked down a garage, busted his garage up, and you should have seen his Studebaker. I mean, his Studebaker was the size of a Jeep after that. This is W.O.R. New York. And uh, how about uh, hitting me there? Uh, Nick, hit me with that Jets thing. This is Merle Herman. And this is Sam DeLuca. And we'll be bringing you New York Jets football live every game right here on WOR AM Radio. Preseason games begin this Saturday at 7.35 when the Jets meet the San Francisco 49ers. Live professional football. Every New York Jets game starting this Saturday night on WOR AM Radio. Oh, yeah, beach nut, of course. You tried to, you, you, you started right at the top, didn't you? Well, I'll tell you, <laughs> the old man this day, when the, when the, uh, when the trauma over the chewing tobacco hit the, it really hit the fan. You know, and you know what it is that hit the fan. I don't have to tell you. It, it really did. We all know what we're talking about. The old man comes roaring up the driveway one afternoon, about 5.30 in the afternoon, and the light of his life, I mean the light of his life, it, his life revolved around it was his Oldsmobile. I mean, I, I know for a fact that if my old man had to choose between who he loved the most, the kids, uh, his wife, or the car, there'd be no question. I mean, if you had, if you pushed him to the wall and he had to make a choice, I mean, which would be a rotten thing to do to a person, but if you did, he'd, he'd, uh, there'd be no choice, actually. And so the Oldsmobile, he used to, oh, he loved this old seat, and he used to polish it and clean it and all that jazz. It was about fourth hand. But he loved it. So on this particular day, the old guy next door, Emil, and my old man, it was just like fate, like a Greek tragedy. You know, the whole essence of a Greek tragedy is the inevitableness of two enormous forces approaching. Electra, you know, and the king. Both are implacable. One is the, is the uh, immovable force, and the other is the irresistible force. When they, were, when they hit in the end there... It is then called Greek tragedy. So on this particular day, you got that uh, that George Antile thing ready for me there. You just get it started, Nick. Just get it started. I will give you the cue. I will give you the cue. For those of you who attempted to try chewing tobacco, I would suggest you consider this before you try it. The old man comes roaring halfway up the driveway. Emil has just stepped out and is now hanging his head over the railing. Now, I am out in the back messing around, knocking out fly balls to Schwartz just at this moment. I hear the car coming. It's the old man, see? Everybody, hey, the old man's home, see? It starts coming up the driveway, and I just hear, oink, pow. He let it go. The old man got a lot of chewing tobacco and juice all over the front of his windshield, dribbling down the hood and down around the tires and uh, in and out of the back of the car. <laughs> because you see, when Emil let it go, he didn't cut, he did not come out often. But when he came out, he had saved up an accumulation of juice for maybe three or four hours. And when he let it go, I mean, it was a gallon and a half or better, you know that. <laughs> Come on, Nick, big. <laughs> oh, the car slowed to a stop. 
The old man flings the door open. He runs around the front of the car. You can see tobacco juice dripping down from it. He runs down the driveway and he hollers up at Emil. You slob! Come on out and clean up my car, you slob! Look what you've done to the Oldsmobile! You slob! Well, by this time, Emil was in the house. You know, he didn't bother. He just saw something moving down there. He just figured that anything that's moving is fair game for a tobacco juice spitter. And uh, he comes back out of the house. He says, what'd you say? The old man says, you slob, clean up my car. Look what you've done. Well, they both stood there for about about 20 seconds. You talk about a walkout. I want to tell you, the old man's standing in the middle of the driveway. He's got his coat half off. And Schwartz is standing next to the garage with his eyeballs hanging out and his face white. And I can hear my kid brother. He's looking out of the window. He's going to have a fight with Abel next door. And they just stood there. Looking at each other deep in the eye. And then Abel, just like that, reaches down snaps up his galoshes you know they call them galoshes out there you know this these suspenders he just takes these suspenders snaps them back up and he comes walking down to the driveway and up the driveway and he reaches into his back pocket and takes out a blue bandana incidentally that is always in my mind associated with tobacco chewers bandana handkerchiefs <laughs> he t- yeah they, they go together you know and he, he takes this bandana handkerchief and he just takes the front of the car. He just wipes it off like that with about three great big swipes. The old man's saying nothing. Just watching. Emil walks back down the driveway and he gets next to the iris beds and he just goes whack patooey into the irises. Up the, my, the old man didn't give a damn about the irises. They were, the, they were my mother's. You know? <laughs> Who cares about that? See? <laughs> and he walks back up and slams the screen door. And from that day on, the old man and Emil, in fact, everybody who lived in that house never spoke another word together, ever. It's a fantastic moment. And it involved chewing tobacco. Well, now, there's a funny thing about chewing tobacco. I suspect that... Uh, now, I don't think women ever do this. I, I don't know I don't know any woman who's ever tried it. Well, I'm sure that they have. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, hill types chew tobacco and all that. But I just personally have never known anybody who tried chewing tobacco. I've known girls who tried snuff. Have you ever tried snuff? Well, that's something else. Uh, but I have never known anybody, you know, who's, who reached over, you know, and grabbed your eight-hour cut plug, you know, took a big chunk out of it. Yeah, they got a big chomp out of it. They call it a chomp, you know. And so there's several types. Now, <laughs> you know, the thing about chewing tobacco is that, is that uh, like many other things, it has a curious lure. I don't know why. I mean, why it lures you on. But when, when uh, I was a kid, down at the end of the street, they had this store, you know, Oschenschlager's store. We used to go down there, and the little store, we bought our stuff. And he had a big case full of chewing tobacco. Now, why did he have chewing tobacco? Well, because a lot of the guys who worked in in the mills around there could not were not allowed to smoke. They were not allowed to smoke. In fact, in particular, 
We had the big Sinclair oil refinery there. Now, obviously, you're not, you're not going to smoke when you're making high-octane gas and stuff like that. So these guys all took the chewing tobacco. And they had a big case of this stuff. And I used to come down, I see. And I'd, I'd be down there with Schwartz and Bruner and Flick, you know, we'd look in the window. And it was always in the same case with the candy. This guy, you know, they had a big glass case. And he had all this stuff like Baby Ruth bars and clock bars. By the way, did you ever go through the clock bar phase? I'll tell you, you can get the clock bar monkey on your back, and it's bad news. I, I, I had the clock bar thing for a while, and you know what even got me worse? Mounds. You ever have the mounds bar hang up? What was that? Oh, Henry? Oh, I'm a joy. Oh, yeah. Oh, listen. Uh, I, I know, listen, I knew a guy that had to put in a home outside of Elyria, Ohio, because of them. At a place where, you know, they taper them off by, you know, putting them on Hershey's and stuff like that. Oh, I'm a joy. I'll tell you what's even worse. Heath. <laughs> Heath bars. I don't know what they put in those things, but gee, you know, they're really, they're worse than cocaine or something. They really get you on the hook. You get your hook. But nevertheless, they had this great big case saying, we come down there, we're buying candy and stuff like that. And, and kids would come and buy tobacco for their old man who worked down at, this, uh, at the refinery. Now, don't think this is the old days. If you think this has anything to do with the old days, you just have not walked around a refinery recently. I'm serious. All guys who work in refineries and in steel mills, this minute, so don't think this has not, nothing to do with the old days, chew tobacco because of the, you know, the problem they can't smoke where they are. And also, too, uh, I've heard him say it, that they chew tobacco, this is why ball players chew it, because it keeps them from getting thirsty. You know, they're standing out in the sun with 100 degrees most of the time, and they don't want to drink a lot of water. If a guy drinks a lot of water when he's playing ball, you know, he's running around out there like a tub. So, uh, in general, they'll chew this tobacco because it keeps them going, see? So, we'd come in, we'd look at these, these chewing tobacco things. These great, great uh, boxes of tobacco all over the place. And there was one particular one that began to get me. I, I I never tried it. Now, as a kid, I never never went for this. It comes with all these packages. Now, there's there's one called Navy Twist. Did you ever hear of Navy Twist? Well, did you ever hear of uh, Red Man? Okay, there's Red Man chewing tobacco. There is. Uh, these are all actual brands. There is Beech Nut, of course, Beech Nut. And what is their slogan? It says on a package. Nick, you tried it. What is it? Sweet as a nut. <laughs> you know, they, they really do. They think sweet as a nut. It's got a package, package with a picture of, the, of a beech nut on it with the leaves. And then there was another one called Eight Hour Day. Eight Hour Day. Then there was one called Apple Plug. Apple Plug. Now, that's the one that really interested me, Apple Plug. Because I know just the idea of it being, you know, flavored like apple, and it just seems that kind of great. Apple plug. And uh, what was another one that, that was there? Bugler. Yeah, it was Bugler chewing tobacco. <laughs> and, and, and so all these these packages, you see, you'd see them all the time there. Now again, as I say, this wall is all these guys from the refinery and the steel mill come in there, to, to you know, to with this tobacco. So you know, years go by. I never tried any of this stuff. It was just somehow. I don't know. It's something about chewing tobacco, and I associated it with this guy that would come out out of the house and lay it down in the driveway. It was just a very alien thing. But yet, at the same time, like so many other things, there was a distinct lure. Now, men do this. You know, you'd hear about ball players chewing tobacco stuff. See, so one day, I, oh, I had one of the great traumatic experiences of my life, 
and I, I'm just going to have to warn you that if you, if uh, if you have a squeamish or a <laughs> or a weak stomach, I would suggest you get the hell out of here quick. One day, and it was summertime. I got a summer job. I was 16. Now, where was I working in this, uh, you know, summer job? Well, the summer job, I got a job as a mail boy at the steel mill. Now, there's a thing in the steel mill when you come into the mill uh, called a clock house. Now, this this was a big steel mill. It was inland steel. Now, like 15,000 guys would be working on a shift. And I mean 15,000 men would go into the mill, and they had three shifts would go uh, 24 hours a day. This mill just goes uh, continually. And so... You would come up to the clock house, like if you were coming into work and you were supposed to get to work at 7 o'clock in the morning, they had staggered shifts. So if you got in there at 7 o'clock in the morning, you'd show up about, oh, about uh, 6.45, and there'd be, you know, 5,500 guys all going through the clock house. Now, the clock house is where you ring in. This is where you punch your card. And uh, you've seen the pictures of guys going in. They reach up and grab their card. They had a number. And you'd stick your card in a little thing, and boing, it would go. And it would time you just exactly what time you got in the mill. And then you would walk through this, the clock house. It's, it's usually dawn when I was coming in. And it would be a big bus, tremendous big flatbed bus, uh, like these buses they always use in the world's fairs to take people on open sides and all that stuff. And you just go in this bus. And they would mark different parts of the mill. See, they're all heading to different places, like uh, number two, open hearth, uh, number five, uh, sheet mill. Uh, you take the bus uh, for the number one, tin mill, or whatever it might be. See, so I would get into the tin mill bus every morning with all these guys in the dark and sit there. And uh, everybody's got his lunch, and the guys are wearing their, their yellow hard hats, the goggles on the top. And we would roll out through the darkness toward the tin mill, right? And I'm a kid now. Remember, I'm 16, and at this point, I'm just an office boy in the tin mill, right? So one morning, you know, I, I would like to say this. The devil speaks in many languages. I mean, it's the truth. I mean, the devil talks in, in many different tongues, and some of them are exceedingly seductive. You've noticed this, Nick? It's only later that you discover it was the devil talking to you. <laughs> so I, I, I'm walking... To the clock house this morning, and uh, everything's cool. See, now every morning uh, I had a I had a whole routine. See, when you work shift work uh, of any type, you you have to develop a complete routine of living. So every morning I would get up like uh, at five thirty, and I would come in the four or five guys. We had this carpool, and I would ride it right in with the Ferguson and a couple of er Ernie Roller and Schwartz. Schwartz worked at the mill too. See. And we would come in every morning at 5.30. Now, every morning, I would get up, and I would have my breakfast. You know, my mother would get up in the morning. She'd fix breakfast for me. Usually, I had the oatmeal, and I'd had stuff like French toast once in a while. And I would carry my lunch with me. My lunch I had in one of these black lunch boxes with a thermos bottle in it, one pint thermos bottle. Well, every morning... Uh, I had a, I had a whole little habit. See, I would I would wait to go in through the clock house. We had, we had to wait till the shifts change and all, and we'd start moving in. And in the meantime, I would eat usually one half of a sandwich. I used to take two sandwiches in my lunch. I would eat one half of a sandwich, usually a meatloaf sandwich or something. See, and uh, I'm waiting around. And finally, I would move through the clock house, ring in my ring in my card, get into the tin mill uh, bus, 
and roll on out to the mill. I always arrived there just about, just about the time the tin mill was starting. <laughs> Everything was good. So I worked it out clean. So this morning, it's it's a cool summer morning, and it is not yet fully light. It's about 5.30 in the morning. You know, it's getting gray and just a little bit light. And uh, I get out of Fergie's car. It's about quarter after six now. I was supposed to, I was supposed to clock in at six thirty that morning, and there's a lot of other guys are clocking in at six thirty. So we all start moving down towards the clock. Nobody says much to each other. You know, the faces are kind of gray <laughs> that hour of the morning. It's like, pretty grim, and uh, yeah, you know, the shifts are very different. Guys that work day shift and get in at six o'clock in the morning have a completely different view of life than guys who are going to work, say, going to work at four in the afternoon to work all night. Uh, they've been up all day, you know. They don't feel rotten or anything. They may be a little bug going to work, but there's a whole different atmosphere. But when you work at 6.30 in the morning in the steel mill, there's a certain grim, uh, curious, last week's beer quality to it. You know, it's like everybody's been living on two-week-old uh, cold mashed potatoes. Yeah, it's a strange feeling. So I, I'm, I'm just going in with this great herd of guys. And it's uh, 6.30. Little did I realize I was about to have one of the great traumatic moments of my life, see. Well, now, every morning when you would come in, not every morning, but most mornings when you come in, there would be guys standing around outside the, the clock house handing out pamphlets and stuff, like union meetings going to be Wednesday. Or uh, there'd be stuff like, uh, vote for Mike Zabowski for a union treasurer, uh, a local 1010 CIO Steelworkers Union of America. Or there would be other guys, you know, handing out things like a big dance at the Polish-American Hall Wednesday night. You know, uh, Harry Zimbowski and his orchestra and his polka band handing out this stuff. So I didn't pay much attention. They're always out there in the morning. So this morning I noticed, though, that uh, this, there's two guys standing out there, and they've got great big cases hanging in front of them, one around their neck. And uh, they're handing out something to all these guys that are going up there ahead of me. And they're taking it. So usually the guys would just, uh, you know, ignore these uh, these uh, packages and stuff the guys were giving out. Uh, and so they're all taking it. So I come up, and what's he giving out? Yep, you bet. They're giving out half-size sample packages of sweet as a nut, peach nut. <laughs> sweet as a nut. Well, now I'd always, you know, that, that kind of, I like that slogan, sweet as a nut. See? So here I am, I'm 16, so these guys are handing out these packages of stuff, and I and uh, I was going through the phase, which I had not yet completely gotten out of. Anything free, I grabbed. So uh, I'm walking through the line, and they're handing out these peach nut packages. Just fast as they can hand them out, the guys are grabbing them. See? So I grabbed the beech nut, and uh, I stick it in my jacket pocket, and uh, I walk a little bit further, and here's another guy handing out peach nut. Well, what's he doing? He, he he hands me another one, see? So I reach out, I grab it. Now I got two packages, which makes a full package of beech nut, see? These were half packages. I got two of them, one in each pocket. Well, I go into the clock house, and I stick the, uh, I stick the uh, thing in the clock, and, you know, and I ring it, boing, and I see a lot of other guys, and, oh, hi, hi, Zabowski, how are you, man? And I walk through the clock house, it's gray, it's very dreary and cold, but there's a certain curious, uh, distinct air of uh, of camaraderie of guys that are facing the same rotten day, <laughs> and they were, you know, they're facing the same miserableness, and that's all part of working in a place like that. Uh, you don't find that in offices so much, but you do in in mills. So I get out. It's cold. The wind is blowing. You can smell the open hearth, 
and uh, off in the distance you can see a, a vague flame just uh, tinting. And, and early morning used to be very beautiful because there would be a faint fog hanging over things, and the bottom of this fog would get tinted uh, with, a, with a rose and, and green and blue-colored flames from the open hearth and from the Bessemer, the converter. And I, I walk through and I see this flame down there, and out, out, to the, out to my right is the lake looking flat and gray. It looked like old Reynolds wrap, gray morning, but warm and cool at the same time. And you could smell the, the, the mill. The mill has a certain smell. It's an oily ash smell. It smells like ash. Uh, what is you know what is ash? Well, you smell ashes. Everything smells like ash, oily. And yet there's a great electrical smell around a steel mill. And you know what electrical smell is like when you smell uh, the, the uh, rotating engine, a rotor. Uh, you know that that smell of ozone. It hangs over the whole steel mill. So. I, I squashed down into my seat, these iron seats, and we all faced each other in this bus. With two rows of guys. We didn't have separate seats. There were two rows of guys, and this bus was a big flatbed. You just step right in. It didn't have doors or anything. You just step in, and you'd sit down on this metal seat facing the guy opposite you. Like all guys are sitting in there, see? So I sit down at the, in the, in the, <laughs> in this thing. So I take out. My lunchbox. I always did this I, you, because it was boring to wait for the bus to get going. So I take out my lunchbox and I see that this morning my mother has made me a liverwurst and onion sandwich. On rye. Now that's a good sandwich. You agree? That is a good sandwich. With, uh, with horseradish mustard. Yeah, Kraft horseradish mustard, which incidentally I can mainline. Uh, I do like mustard. Uh, <laughs> I really do. And so I sit there, and yeah, it's boring. It's kind of cold, and you can smell the ozone. So I open my lunchbox, and I take out half of my sandwich. And I had two of these liverwurst sandwiches. Now, in case you're curious, my mother preferred the uh, smoked liverwurst instead of the the, uh, the light pink type. This was the brown, smoked brown schweiger. So... I take the thing out, and I start chomping away. It's onions. See, my mother put onions. I thought, I'm chomping away. Oh, it's really great, see? Well, now, uh, I chop it away. Well, this immediately starts a couple of other guys. So they smell the onion. You know, onions uh, have a tendency to make you very hungry when you smell them. See, so a guy opposite me, he opens up his lunchbox. And uh, there were certain guys in the, in the mill that had certain eating habits. I got to know a lot of them. One of them, a certain type of guy, would not even bring a sandwich in fact, uh, we, <laughs> we had this guy named Chester Gotch would do this, and he worked in the tin mill. He brought himself a salami. Yeah, salami. And he would, you know, these little one-pound salamis, and there would be a salami right in his lunchbox, a whole salami, and he would have a, a chunk of bread that was about uh, a foot long. He'd just chop it off, you know, for like French-type Italian bread, and that was his lunch. He'd have a piece of, sal a whole salami and a chunk of bread. And in his... Uh, in his uh, thermos bottle, he would have uh, uh, red wine, usually, you know, the Thunderbird type, see? So he just takes this big salami in one hand. Now, the way that's done, in case you would like to try this type of eating, it's very simple. It's very primitive. It gets right to the heart of it, of eating. You take a bite of salami. <coughs> big bite. You don't cut it. You bite it. <coughs> bite of salami. Then you take a bite of bread. <coughs> like that. You chew this combination for about 30 to 40 seconds till it starts getting a little, you know, a little moist and chewed up. And then you tip up the, the, uh, 
the thermos bottle and you take a big swallow of red wine. Now that's the combination. You do it in that rotation. One, two, three. Salami, bread, wine. Salami, bread, wine. Do not vary it. Salami, bread, wine. Now if you're really good at it, you can also spit out the salami rinds in between bites. <laughs> so old Chester Gotch, he's eating away over there. He's got it going. Well, I notice off to my right there's this guy that works down at the zinc mill. We had the, the guy that do, did a lot of zinc work down there, see? Riley worked at the zinc mill, and he had a leather jacket on that was always spotted with, with acid. You'd see little holes all over his leather jacket from the zinc mill. So with that, he reaches into his jacket, and I'm watching, and I'm just... You, you, your eyes work kind of subconsciously. You don't really look at anything at that hour of the morning. They just sort of register, and I'm chewing away at the Braunschweiger, and... I could see Gotch sitting opposite me. He's knocking down the salami. And suddenly, Riley reaches into his leather pocket and takes out the mail pouch chewing tobacco, which we have just been given. He just goes, he tears the top of it off. He really, you know, just over the stump. He just rips it off. And he tilts the box back, this little package. It was about, the, about twice the size of a uh, cigarette package. Fat, you know. He goes, he taps it on the bottom, and he just the whole package into the mouth, the whole package. And you know how they do it. He then takes his hand, and he stuffs it. He took his finger, and he just sort of stuffs it into the side of his mouth, begins to chew it. Great big wad, about the size of a tennis ball. I don't know what made me do it. Now, there are some nights tonight, even 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 this day, I mean, uh, it is sometime removed, when I get a funny feeling around the pit of the stomach, especially when I walk past certain tobacco shops, there's a certain smell. It's a funny smell. I don't know what it is. It doesn't smell like cigars, right, Nick? It does not smell like cigarettes. It's something else. I don't know how to express it, except that once you've tasted it, you've tasted it, and you'll remember it forever. So I sit down... I'm sitting there, you know, and I've just knocked on one half of a Braunschweiger sandwich. Incidentally, this is a very, very important detail, which later developments have shown. So I take out the package of tobacco out of my right-hand pocket. Riley spots it. He says, hey, so you got some of that tobacco, huh, kid? I says, yeah. And there were a couple other guys from the shipping. Down. Hey, it's got the tobacco. How about a little tobacco here? And then he, they start taking them out. You know, they, these guys are old veterans. See, so they start ripping the packages and they pack them down into their gut. So with that, Riley says, hey, now listen. He says, don't take a half a package. He says, the trouble with a half a package, he says, you know, I'm going to show you what you do. So he takes out another package out of his pocket, rips it open, sticks it into his mouth, packs it down. He's not here all set for all day, you know. He's just keeping it in there all day like that. And I said, yeah. Now, it has a funny smell. When guys chew tobacco, it has a strange smell. So I, I take the tobacco out, and I rip it open. I sniffed it. Well, now, it, 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 it is sweet. I must say, it is sweet. It is sweet as a nut. <laughs> Which is, you know, the devil again talking. He often speaks with a sweet tongue. It's as sweet as a nut. So I take the tobacco, and Riley's watching. He says, now, just tilt it up. He says, don't reach it. He says, some guys reach in with their hands like that, but they lose a lot of it that way. He says, just tilt it up and pack it back in your mouth. So I tilt my 
my uh, trap to the ceiling, and I poured the tobacco back in there, and I, just like that, at first nothing happened, I packed it in, I sit there, and he says, not chew it, give it a couple of good big chews, so it gets, he says, you got to get it worked in, you got to work it into a cud, <laughs> so I go, it's all crumbly in my mouth, very strange, I chewing away, I had the damnedest feeling. It's 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 a strange tingling in the inside of your mouth. It's like it's like there's a thousand electric batteries going. It's like like you've got a big mouthful of electricity. It's a funny feeling. I chew a little bit more. It's like a big wad of some kind of strange, crumbly, gooey gum, and it gets very slick and slimy, kind of oily and greasy. You know the feeling. Chewing away at. I must have been chewing this stuff for about four minutes, maybe five at the outside, when all of a sudden, it came from down around my feet, a wave of nausea that was incredible. It was followed by the Braunschweiger, by my breakfast, by last night's meal, by every conceivable thing I had in with me for about an hour. I just sat. I've never forgotten it. This is W.O.R. in New York. You stay tuned for John Scott and the news.